The Bible is the story of God redeeming his people in Christ, rescuing them from sin, death, the devil, and from his own wrath. And as we see the story play out, it appears that God is engaged in a cosmic battle. Welcome to the Fox Den with Terry Fox. Greetings, everyone. Well, last night I watched my University of Washington Huskies lose another game. They're now two and four. I had high hopes that they would have a good football team this year, but up to this point it looks like my hopes are dashed. Now, for my international friends, by football I mean American football. American football is a physical game. There's lots of physical contact and many times really hard hits. There's a battle that takes place on the field between two teams. But there's another battle that's taking place right now, and it's a cosmic battle, a battle between God and Satan. Now, let me give you a quick review of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The Bible is the story of God redeeming his people in Christ, rescuing them from sin, death, the devil, and from his own wrath. And as we see the story play out, it appears that God is engaged in a cosmic battle. Though I use the phrase cosmic battle, it's not a battle between equals. Certainly, Satan is powerful, but he's not as powerful as God, not even close. God is the creator, and Satan is a creature. Satan is subordinate to God, and he must play within the parameters that God sets. Take a look at Job. Now, let me give you a quick review of this 42-chapter book. Job was a wealthy man who feared God. And one day he lost everything, including all his children. And then shortly thereafter, he got painful sores all over his body. Job searches his life, wondering why this happened to him. And in the end, God in his grace blessed Job with more than he had before. Now take time to read this story. There's a lot more to it than I gave you. This is just a quick review. So now that you have the gist of the story, I want to focus on chapters 1 and 2. In chapter 1, Satan approaches God, and God asks him if he considered Job. And Satan told God that Job fears him and reveres him because God has been good to him. So then God gives all that Job has to Satan, and he tells him he can do whatever he wants. However, Satan can't touch Job. So Satan acts, and Job loses all his property and all his children. And then in Job chapter 2, again, Satan presents himself to God, And God asks him to consider Job. Satan tells God that Job will curse him if he stretches out his hand against him. So God gives Job to Satan and tells him to spare his life. So Satan struck Job with sores. Now, did you catch that? God gave Satan parameters to work within. And Satan worked within those parameters. In other words, he obeyed God. This wasn't a mutual agreement. God established the parameters. First, he gave all that belongs to Job to Satan and told him not to touch Job. Though Satan acted according to his own destructive character, he obeyed God, working within the parameters that God set. And then God handed Job over to Satan and told him that he can't kill him. Again, Satan worked according to his own destructive character, but within the parameters that God set. So from this quick look at Job, you can see this cosmic battle. Satan seeks to destroy God's people. On the other hand, it's not really a battle at all. Everything Satan does happens to fulfill God's plan. 
you see, Satan is merely a tool of God. Even the story of Job worked according to God's plan. Now, certainly you'll have more questions, but take time to read the book of Job. And in the end, I think you'll find Job's response to God surprising. You see, we tend to look at a story like this and say that God is unfair. All his children were killed. And we wonder, how can that be a gracious God? But we don't have all the pieces. And in the end, Job understands his rightful place as a creature, and God blesses him with more than he had before. But going back to Satan, do you see that God is greater than Satan? God set the parameters. Satan worked within those parameters. Do you really think that Satan has a chance against God? Satan has no chance at all. You see, this isn't really a cosmic battle at all. Sure, to some degree it's a cosmic battle, right? It's a battle between God and Satan. But it's not really a battle at all, because Satan has no chance of victory. God is victorious. So when did God win this cosmic battle? Well, there's several ways to look at this. First, you can argue that the battle still rages. Watch the news. We live in a sinful world. You can even see where Christians are persecuted around the world. You can see the world trying to oppress Christianity. You see, the end of the battle hasn't come yet. However, don't fret. God wins. That's what the book of Revelation is about. We won't go into the book of Revelation in detail here, but John wrote this letter to encourage Christians in the first century. Many people in the United States find this book scary. They focus on things like the mark of the beast and the tribulation. None of us want to endure troubles and tribulation. We want to live comfortable lives. However, we're going to suffer in this life. Nonetheless, the main message of Revelation is God wins. Think of a sporting event. Football, basketball, baseball, whatever it may be, you exert a great deal of energy playing the game. And depending on the sport, you may get beat up and even suffer injuries. That's the cost of winning. So life may be hard. Satan wants to destroy God's people. And he has players around the world doing his bidding. Many of them don't even realize it. For example, Pontius Pilate was a tool of Satan to kill Jesus. Yet in the end, God wins. So one way of looking at this is to say that certainly God will win, but the game isn't over yet. But there's another way of looking at this. God already won. So why do I say this? Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead. Look at what Paul says. Speaking of the resurrection of Jesus in 1 Corinthians 15, he quotes two passages from the Old Testament. Isaiah 25 verse 8 and Hosea 13 verse 14. The first thing I want you to notice here is that God spoke of his victory hundreds of years before Jesus was even born. Isaiah and Hosea were both written well before the birth of Christ. Next, notice what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 54 and 55, where he quotes Isaiah and Hosea. Where's your sting, death? Where's your victory? In other words, death has no victory. Why? Death couldn't contain Jesus forever. Jesus rose from the dead, never to die again. Death lost. But look at what verse 57 says. God gives us victory through Christ. That verb isn't future tense, will give us victory. That verb is present tense, gives us victory. You see, the victory is ours right now. We're simply waiting to go home. 
We're waiting to rise from the dead. The end of the battle hasn't yet come, but the victory has. But there's another way to look at when God won this battle. To do so, we have to go back to the beginning of Genesis. In Genesis chapter 1, God created all things, and in day 6, he created man. Now look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. What did God say? All that he created was very good. From that simple statement, we can conclude that sin was not present in God's creation. It was perfect. Genesis 2 focuses specifically on the creation of man and the command that God gave Adam. It was one simple rule. Look at Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. Adam could eat from any tree in the garden except from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And notice the penalty for eating from that tree. Death. So Adam had one simple rule to follow, and we see in Genesis chapter 3, he blew it. There in chapter 3, we see the serpent, who is Satan, approach Eve in the garden, and he tempted her. She ate the forbidden fruit and gave it to Adam, and he ate. This is known as the fall of mankind. At that moment, they were both struck with guilt. Why? They violated the holy law of God. Don't eat from that tree. Then they heard the sound of God and they hid themselves. You see, trying to hide from God is proof that they know that they sinned against him. At this point, I want to fast forward to verse 15 and show you what God said to the serpent. God said that he was going to put enmity or hostility between Eve and the serpent, between her offspring and his. This leads me to believe that there are two groups of people in the world. God's people, Eve's offspring, and those who aren't, Satan's offspring. And this makes sense. Now you can see why many in the world are hostile to Christians. You can see that there are many in the world who are doing Satan's bidding and they don't even realize it as they try to snuff out the church. Now look at the last sentence in verse 15. The offspring is singular. He, Eve's offspring, will bruise the head of the serpent. First, Eve's offspring here is Jesus. Now, Genesis 3 takes place several thousand years before Jesus is even born. But as we look at the whole of Scripture, we know that this is talking about Jesus. He will bruise the serpent's head, and the serpent is Satan. So, Jesus will bruise the head of Satan. In other words, Jesus wins. But second, bruise sounds so minor My youngest daughter plays volleyball and often goes to the floor, diving to keep the ball in play. Well, landing on the floor leaves bruises, but those bruises aren't fatal. The idea in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, however, is fatal. It's the head. You see, this is a statement of victory. God is promising Satan that the offspring of Eve, who is Jesus, will defeat him. And then finally, this statement validates the humanity of Jesus. He is the offspring who will defeat Satan for what he did, leading man into sin. So when did God win this cosmic battle? In Genesis 3.15. He made a promise to Satan that Jesus would defeat him, and God cannot lie. God would never make a statement like this if he's not willing and able to back it up. God doesn't make empty promises. God doesn't spew empty words. So God won this battle several thousand years ago at the fall of mankind, because he promised Satan that Jesus would defeat him. Yet there's another way to look at when God won this cosmic battle. This will be a little more indirect, so please bear with me. 
take a look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25 and following. This is a section on marriage. Now, I'm sure you're thinking, how in the world does this passage on marriage point to God's victory in this cosmic battle? Again, bear with me. Now, I plan on doing a full episode on Ephesians 5, verses 22 to 31, because it lays out the groundwork of marriage. And I want to do an episode on biblical marriage. However, I haven't gotten to that episode yet. Now, what you have to see in this episode is how Paul connects marriage between a man and his wife with Christ and his church. You see, marriage is more than a man and a woman saying vows, raising a family, and growing old together. Marriage is mainly a picture of Christ and his church. A man is to love his wife sacrificially. He is to love his wife as Christ loved the church. And Jesus did that by giving himself up for the church. Now, keep in mind the church here is the people of God. So Jesus loved the people of God by giving himself over to be crucified. He took the debt of our sin and paid the penalty. Do you remember what that penalty is? Death. He died the death we deserve on the cross when he was crucified. The other thing you need to see is that marriage is union. Look at what Paul says in verse 31. A man will leave his parents and become one with his wife. The two will become one flesh. Now, this is for a completely different episode, but this is the reason why divorce is wrong. How can you break apart that which God united? So Paul speaks of union in verse 31. But do you know where Paul gets this quote in verse 31? He's quoting Genesis chapter 2, verse 24. And this is the passage where God institutes marriage. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 22, God created Eve from Adam. And then he institutes marriage in verse 24, saying that a man will leave his parents, become one flesh with his wife. Now look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. He tells us that Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, is speaking of Christ and his church. Thinking of the timeline of the fall of mankind, when did Adam sin against God? Genesis chapter 3. Did you catch that? God had Christ and his church in view before Adam sinned against God. Genesis 2.24 is the institution of marriage, and marriage is a picture of the union of Christ and his people, the church. That means God won the cosmic battle before Adam sinned. How can I say that? Remember, God cannot lie. So when God says something is true, it must be true. Furthermore, his plans cannot be thwarted. He's God. He has no competition. What he plans comes about. With this in mind, God determined that marriage would be a picture of this union between Christ and his church. Now, I'm going to go one step further. Do you think God determined that marriage would be a picture of Christ and his church after creation? Do you think that God created then determined that marriage would be a picture of Christ and his church? It's safe to assume that God determined this before he created all things. God doesn't fly by the seat of his pants. He doesn't deal with issues as they arrive. He doesn't try to figure things out in the moment. Instead, God establishes a plan and carries it out. At this point, I'm going to throw out a theological term, covenant of redemption. This phrase means that the three persons of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, made a covenant in eternity to rescue God's people. Now think about that. God determined that he would save his people, believers in Christ, before Adam sinned and even before God created. You see what this means? God knew man was going to sin. 
Did he know this because he can see the future and he saw that man would sin? Well, if that's the case, I would ask, why would he create man knowing that man would sin if God only knows the future because he can see the future? But if God works according to a plan and the Trinity made a covenant to rescue sinful man, God determined that man would sin and he could rescue his people in Christ. I won't go any further at this point concerning the covenant of redemption. That's a completely different episode, and I'm sure I've raised more questions. However, what I want you to see here is that God won the cosmic battle before he created. God made a covenant amongst the persons of the Trinity, and he cannot violate any covenant that he makes. He's God, and he cannot lie. He cannot go back on his word. When God makes a promise, you know it's going to come about. If God were not willing to do something, he's not going to make a promise. He's not like us. When you watch the news, when you see life play out, it can be discouraging. Oftentimes, it looks like God is losing. However, appearances are deceiving. Satan is not co-equal with God, and everything he does fulfills the plan of God. Remember, Satan is just a tool of God fulfilling the plan of God. Satan's a mere creature, and not only that, he already lost. Life can be discouraging because the game isn't over. However, when you look at the scoreboard, it says, Christ is risen. And that means as the minutes tick away, Satan can do nothing to make a comeback and win. He lost. But because God is dependable and trustworthy, we know that God has already won. He made a promise to Satan in Genesis 3.15 that Jesus would defeat him. And he made a covenant amongst himself that Jesus would rescue God's people And God cannot lie. That's counter to his character. As you struggle through life, keep your eyes focused on what is to come. Resurrection. God is going to win this battle because God has already won this battle. The book of Revelation tells us how the story ends. God wins. Jesus rose from the dead, which tells you that God won. God promised Satan that Jesus will defeat him. And based on the fact that God can't fail to fulfill his promise, God won. And the persons of the Trinity made a covenant amongst themselves that Jesus would rescue God's people. And again, God cannot fail to keep his covenant. God won. Let me conclude by encouraging you with Paul's words in Colossians chapter 3, verse 2. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. Do you know why Paul said this? He knew that life was hard, especially for believers. Read the book of Acts after Paul's conversion in Acts 9, and you'll see that Paul had a hard life. He suffered a great deal. In fact, according to tradition, the apostle Paul himself was beheaded. You set your mind on things of heaven, not on earth, because those of you in Christ are citizens of heaven right now. You see, that's your home. Down here on earth, we're merely waiting to go home. And we can rest assured that this will indeed happen because God won the cosmic battle even before it started. That concludes this episode. If you have any questions, please email me at terry at thefoxdenjournal.com. If you enjoy The Fox Den, please leave a positive review and share this podcast with others. And if you haven't done so already, please subscribe. The Fox Den is a member of the Society of Reformed Podcasters. Thanks for listening. Remember, faith comes by hearing.